why haven't I heard the Holy Ghost? I'd ask my prayers. Is there something I've done wrong that has made me not deserve it? Is it my impure thoughts about Frankie Muniz? (laughs) (laughs) Me. (laughs) I remember you went through your Frankie Muniz phase. (laughs) Hello. Hello. Welcome to Please Bless This Podcast. Hey, everybody. This is a podcast where two sisters, that's us, talk about all things Mormon and pop culture and inevitably deconstruct Mormonism along the way. Yep. I'm Elisa. I'm Katie. Oh my gosh. Today we're talking about I'm Glad My Mom Died, the new memoir by Jeanette McCurdy. Yeah, by Jeanette McCurdy of iCarly fame. Sold yes. out on Amazon in one day, I heard. Yes. Wow. Already a New York Times bestseller big deal of a book yeah shout out to our listener vicky who was like did you know that jeanette mccurdy talks about her mormon upbringing in this book because i didn't know until i heard from her i'd I'd seen the book around because it sold out on amazon in one day people have been talking about it yeah i did not know there was a connection to mormonism until i heard from vicky so thanks vicky thanks for looking out pal that's what I'm talking about. Send us the emails. Get in yes. touch. Tell us what to talk about. Please bless pod at gmail.com. Yes. Serve us the content. So Jeanette McCurdy, for those who don't know, I wasn't super familiar with her mm-hmm. before this memoir. She was one of the stars of iCarly, that Nickelodeon yeah. show from the early 2000s. Did you watch iCarly? I didn't. It was a little bit after my time. But Jeanette McCurdy is my age. So I've been aware of her. I actually watched my first episode of iCarly ever this morning in preparation for the podcast. I was like, I feel like I just need a little taste of what this show is. And it was excruciating. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely watched it. I remember her character, Sam Puckett, being very like slapstick. She's aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. She's like pushing people around. Mm -hmm. She's like a little bit of a bully, but like she's also really cute. Honestly, she pops on the show. Hmm, Like I was more aware of Miranda Cosgrove just in pop culture for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. But when you watch the pilot, Jeanette McCurdy is a star. Wow. Yeah. Good for her. Her mom knew. Her mom. Katie. <laughs> she knew. sure knew what she was talking about i also hadn't been aware that jimnette mccurdy had a short-lived country music career no, me neither so i also listened to i i can't say i listened to a couple of her songs because i could not get through a single one yeah 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 the number one top hit on spotify i listened to also okay but i already can't remember what it was called The two that I listened to, and I selected them at random, were both I'm Singing About My Mama, which felt dark given what I know from this memoir. Ooh, yeah. Jeanette McCurdy's had this childhood and adolescence and young adulthood in the spotlight, and this memoir, I'm Glad My Mom Died, is all about that, but also about her abusive relationship with her mother and mm-hmm. just some great little tidbits about Mormonism. Great yeah. little tidbits. So relatable to me in so many ways. She talks about Mormonism in a really positive light. 
Mm -hmm. generally like she I think because she had this abusive upbringing and she was homeschooled and made to work from a young age I think that she like felt like she could be a normal kid at church and she loved primary and she talks Mm -hmm. about popcorn popping on the apricot tree and and how she was just so desperate to get there every Sunday she has to like push everybody else out the door in order to get there yes there's one chapter where she's describing what it was like when she was I don't know like six seven and she's trying to get everybody in the house out the door so they can get to church on time because she's so desperate for those three hours where she's not at home with her family in this like really toxic violent abusive situation that chapter was so stressful I was listening to it on audible yeah and I was like (sighs) I know I was stressed I was driving while I was listening to it and she's talking about like cleaning up after her brothers and her mom is talking about how she needs to go buy new pantyhose on the way to church and she's just Mm -hmm. like "Ah!" and she's trying to get her grandma out of the bathroom and her grandma's in the bathroom on the phone just like shit talking everybody in the family. I mean, chaos. she was the adult in a household of four adults and three older brothers. Yeah. And that is like textbook abuse. Totally. But she's telling it from a perspective where she wasn't aware at the time that that's what it was. It was just like, this is my job to get everybody out the door to church. And it's really heartbreaking to listen to. Totally. I know. It's like, that's exactly the type of abuse her mom used. It was like, you are in charge of making sure that my feelings are are more important than anybody else's right you need to make sure that I am feeling good and that Mm -hmm. you're doing all the right things and and you also need to make sure that we have money yeah because they didn't without her yeah everybody in the house worked low-wage jobs they lived with their grandparents Mm -hmm. and uh they needed her to go work that cute little disney face Mm-hmm. Nickelodeon face excuse Nickelodeon me. face very different pardon me and yet not that different probably one other element of the home life that I thought was interesting and troubling was the hoarding mm. so she talks about how her mother one way her mental illness manifested is that she was a hoarder to the point that they couldn't even sleep in their beds They were sleeping on like mats in the living room. So no one had privacy because the rooms were just filled with stuff. And even when Jeanette had a couple of acting jobs and could afford to buy herself a bunk bed, her mom filled it with stuff. Mm -hmm. So she couldn't even sleep in it. Yeah. She filled the top bunk with stuff. Mm -hmm. So she couldn't use the top bunk. She's like, that's why I wanted a bunk bed. Yeah. Heartbreaking. But like- Of course she wanted to go to church if that's what home is like. Yeah. I know church is, you know what to expect. It's clean. It's just singing songs and being around your peers. You know, she never gets to be around other girls and yeah, it's just calm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It made me think about how the church is a soft place to land for people who are in really vulnerable circumstances. And that is not an inherently insidious thing. It's good to find communities that you feel safe in when you don't feel safe at home with your family. Mm -hmm. 
But obviously there's a lot more to it in Mormonism. It's like, oh, you're vulnerable. We'll come here and we'll rescue you. And then you just owe us the rest of your life. That's all exactly. the rest of eternity. Right. No biggie. Fair, yeah, no big fair exchange. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, wouldn't you also feel a sense of being othered by everyone? Mm -hmm. Because it's such a an exclusive community of people who are all supposed to be just like each other and their families all look a certain way. And mm -hmm. if yours doesn't, you know, I can see how it would be a nice place to go week to week, but at the end of the day, you're not really going to fit in. You're right. And Jeanette McCurdy talks about that. She mm -hmm. describes her family as second tier or second rate Mormons. Mm -hmm. And that's a real thing. I mean, yeah. you and I grew up in a family where our parents were in the bishopric, in the Relief Society presidency, doing their home and visiting teaching. But that was a small group in the ward. Mm -hmm. The vast majority of folks in the ward were the people who were needing the help of the Relief Society president and their home and visiting teachers. For sure. And everybody knew who was who yeah and like being an adult in the church there were open conversations about like you know 10 percent of the ward does 100 percent of the work mm -hmm. and yeah. and it was like this self-righteous thing and we're in that 10 percent, and we're so burdened but also we're so righteous right i can remember there being conversations about when our family was talking about moving to a different ward how there was some level of responsibility to stay mm -hmm. you know or like the ward needed us loss mm -hmm. yeah because we were like a faithful family and our parents were adults that the church could rely on mm -hmm. i mean i knew people on my mission i served in a couple of really small branches and there were people who like their stake president had encouraged them to buy a house in that small branch so that the mm -hmm. branch could continue to exist wow because most of the people who were attending were not people who were seen as like leaders in the church mm -hmm. can i say though those wards are the best mm -hmm. those Go wards on. where everybody is just like i don't know not the, those people don't fit the mold man mm -hmm. some of them are totally wackadoo just yeah. randos off the street you know, just a hodgepodge. I, I loved it there. I mean, we grew up in the seventh ward. Everybody in our stake knew that the seventh ward was the wackos. Yeah. And it, it was partly because there was low income housing in our mm -hmm. ward boundaries. That's just the reality of the situation. And mm -hmm. so we had a lot more like single parents or single adults single, single adults yeah unmarried yeah. adults without children oh my gosh in the Lots Mormon church yeah and um folks who had like mental health issues and issues with poverty who like had real stuff going on yeah in their lives and if you've never attended mormon church one quarter of mormon church meetings are an open mic session yes like one sunday a month the floor is yours yeah not only is it an open mic but you're asked to fast before mm -hmm. the meeting so, so you're hungry fasted hungry vicious out for blood yes out for attention out for revelation it's true yeah it's, it's we a good heard time. so much 
wild stuff over yeah. the pulpit as kids. People talking about like the visions they were having, people like having passive aggressive fights with each other over the pulpit. <laughs> people just breaking into song. Yes, that's the best. Yeah. That's the best. I did love when the spirit moved someone. Yeah. People just confessing like horrific abuse that had <laughs> happened to them. That's I mean, terrible. The sky's the limit. Yeah. On a truly. on a fast and testimony Sunday. Yeah. I remember feeling like it was a big loss when we moved mm-hmm. and we were in like kind of a normal ward. Yeah. Being like, wow, this is really reserved. Yeah. Hmm. Boring. Yeah. Where are the real people? There was a single older man and his single older sister were in our ward and they hated each other. They didn't actually like even speak to each other except indirectly over the pulpit on fast Sunday. And she was the ward organist. And if he got up or if anybody got up and said something she didn't like, she would start playing yeah and not even a song just like she was awesome she would cut you off yeah off topic he died a horrific death oh did you know that oh i know that i know we don't need to go into it but uh i've um (laughs) just saying it's not funny i we're laughing like we're monsters but this person was just such a strange fixture in our childhood. He was super, this mean old man who said so much crazy stuff. I mean, like he would talk about women being whores in his testimony. He'd be, he'd be like, oh, the church is so important because the world is filled with whores. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I'm like eight. <laughs> I'm like, what <laughs> is happening? Oh, yeah. He was a scary dude. He was a scary dude. I remember, too, if there were other, like, single women in the ward who he was attracted to, he would be, like, he would, like, gesture to them to come sit by him. And you, no. everybody would kind of see it happening and just be like, whoa, he's making a move. Anyway, it was just a lot to take in as a child. Yeah. And, yes, he did die a really gruesome, horrific death. And on that note, R.I.P. Brother K. Let's get back to Jeanette McCurdy. (laughs) Yes. So when Jeanette McCurdy talked about being a secondary Mormon, I was like, I know what she means by that. Totally. How how I'm sure there were people in her ward who saw her that way. Yes. And that she internalized that. Right. It wasn't that we were taught to see people that way. Absolutely. Like as a child, there were those kids in the church who you were encouraged to befriend befriend. and then there were some where you weren't and some kids houses you weren't allowed to go to for whatever reason yeah and you knew which kids had like active parents or like one one inactive parent yeah or you knew if they had previously been inactive and been reactivated and that was partly like good for them hooray but also like yeah we we'll see if this sticks before we really trust you yeah and she obviously wasn't second rate in the sense that she had any doubts in the church Mm -hmm. it was simply just what her family projected and Mm -hmm. 
she would take jobs that people in the church would see as inappropriate. They would yeah. make comments to her mom. Is that really inappropriate? Is is Law and Order SVU really yeah. inappropriate? Should she really be job? on Mad TV? Does right. that represent the church well? Yeah. Yeah. And that is so, I'm sure, I'm sure it happened all the time. Her mom let her drink uh, decaf coffee. Uh, because it was an appetite suppressant mm-hmm. getting into that fun element of the abuse the calorie restricting yes her mom teaching her to be anorexic Ooh, yeah maybe just a real quick in a nutshell recap of the sort of central conflict in the book which is Jeanette's mom abusing her mm-hmm. so her mom had cancer when Jeanette was really young and one thing she talks about is how on Sundays after church they would sit in the living room and her mom would make them watch this VHS tape that had footage from her last cancer diagnosis Mm -hmm. yeah and it was just this constant reminder like your mom almost died it could happen again Mm -hmm. you're lucky but also you better look out for your mom and put her first because she could go at any time. Yeah. It's a super heavy message for little kids to carry yeah. around every day. Right. We've talked about the hoarding. Her mom had really erratic outbursts, lots of like screaming and mm-hmm. violence, mostly directed at, it sounds like, their father. Mm-hmm. Like you said, she encouraged Jeanette to restrict calories and to develop anorexia at a young age. And it was sort of like to keep Jeanette looking like a child. Her mom really needed Jeanette to stay a child. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it started when when Jeanette started to develop, when Mm -hmm. she um, hit puberty and it really freaked her out. She knew at that age because of things her mom had said that she would get less jobs if she were to appear any older because she looked young. She could play little kids and Mm -hmm. Uh, what's better than that they don't have to hire a little kid they can hire a teenager that's great Mm -hmm. what's really freaky that I noticed as I was reading the book was that the way she worded it was is there a way that you can stop this like stop my development Mm -hmm. and her mom's like well here's this thing called calorie restriction and the crazy part is from what it sounded like in the book she ended up not starting her period until she was like 16 yep So it was working and there were like doctors and friends of the family who Jeanette heard say to her mother, like, we're worried about Jeanette. She might be anorexic. She's really underweight and her mom brushing it off and basically being like, don't listen to those people. You're so you're doing so great. Right. Another way her mom showed that she really was like obsessed with keeping Jeanette a child is that she um, demanded to like shower Jeanette and wash her hair Mm -hmm. and until she was 17 Mm -hmm. and she would also molest her in the shower yeah and call it like a medical exam Mm -hmm. and she would bathe her with her teenage brothers yep and that is really horrific the parts about that she just writes it like really unflinchingly she's like this is what was going on and she talks about just kind of like floating out of her body. Mm-hmm. Very so sad. sad. Mm-hmm. And then there's just all of the emotional abuse, all of the ways that her mom's feelings and emotions and needs were driving like every single aspect of their lives. Mm-hmm. Even when Jeanette was old enough to get her own apartment and her mom was like, maybe I could spend the night. And what that meant was I'm moving in. Yeah. So when... 
her mom finally does die. Jeanette obviously wasn't happy about it at the time because she was still kind of in the thick of being an abused kid. And it felt like a tragedy. And it wasn't until years later when she's in therapy and talking about her relationship with her mom and her therapist calling it abuse that mm-hmm. Jeanette sort of realized for the first time, like, oh, what happened to me wasn't okay. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, she said um, she resisted. She, like, ran out of the therapist's office and never went back. She mm. ended up working with another therapist later. But she talked about how, like, she couldn't accept her mom being abusive because that meant she had to like reframe the entire foundation of her life like if her mom wasn't doing all the things she did for Jeanette's benefit for her good then how could she even begin to comprehend the choices that had led her to where she was right and that's the way the whole book is written it's written from the perspective of the child who doesn't understand mm-hmm. you know she doesn't say that she was abused she just says what she did yeah she's just sort of matter-of-factly narrating and then mom yeah. said this and then she touched me this way and then mm-hmm. she told me to stop eating mm-hmm. yeah. yeah because she loves me and i love her more than anyone She's the center of my universe. So to me, that moment felt like a parallel to deconstructing Mormonism big time. Mm -hmm. Just how if the entire foundation of your life is this set of beliefs, the very idea that that set of beliefs is untrue or not for your good is really scary because it means you have to like reframe everything. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of people, I know definitely for me, even after leaving, it took a long time to like fully realize that for myself. Mm-hmm. Sort of like you and I were talking about earlier, how you can have like a sort of metaphorical belief in the church, mm-hmm. even letting that go. There are so many layers. I feel like this is our, this is the final layer for Do me. You? <laughs> the well, podcast. hopefully. I don't know how many more layers I can and i mean at that point in jeanette mccurdy's story it sounds like she had let mormonism go by the time she was like recovering from the abuse of her mom and she doesn't draw tons of parallels to like the abuse of her mom and the church Mm -hmm. but you did find this quote that i thought was interesting where she does kind of connect them in an interview about the book so it was in a the cut she talks about she's talking about guilt and she says if you want to feel guilty have an overbearing mother who conditions you to believe everything's your fault and her life is your responsibility and the mormon faith on top of it and she talks about the guilt complex and you know if she'd stayed in the faith that's another thing that would have held her back she'd be married with kids and you know she she thinks she could have just fully stayed in which like so many people Mm-hmm. I think can relate to that, you know, mm-hmm. if you just, uh, if one thing had gone differently, your life could look like that uh, classic picture of the toe-headed blonde Mormons with the 10 kids. What I think is interesting there that seems related, like from her mom's perspective, she was like, I'm doing this all for you. When really it was all for her mom. It was like all her mom was living vicariously through her. Yeah. And similarly, the church is set up to be like, this is all for you. This is about your happiness. Yes. But there's not a lot of room within the framework of the church to really get to know yourself Mm -hmm. authentically, deeply. 
Mm -hmm. um, beyond the context of Mormonism to really know if it's what you want or if it Mm -hmm. is what's going to make you happy. Mm -hmm. And that's a big problem. For sure. And so you can kind of end up on the path and get far along without even really asking yourself, is this what I want? Is this making me happy? Am I happy? Is this for my good? Right. And guilt is what like holds so many people back from ever exploring that. You Mm -hmm. know, it's a such a powerful tool for the church. Mm -hmm. I know that was like the major thing for me. I I had so much guilt as a child that I that was honestly the way that I got out because I couldn't take it anymore. Mm-hmm. From a young age, I was just like, I can't stand to feel like this anymore. So I'm going to do whatever I can to separate myself from what makes me feel this way. Yeah. And because I allowed myself to do that, I think that was how I actually got to know what I actually thought and not just what I was afraid of or all of that fun mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. There's guilt when you sin and you do the wrong thing. But I wasn't, for the most part, up to a certain point presenting that Mm -hmm. I had any guilt or that I had anything to feel bad about. I was still feeling the pressure of presenting Mm -hmm. the right way. Yep. Like a first-tier Mormon. Right. You got to look like a first-tier Mormon. Yeah. And it's so ridiculous when you look back that we felt that way from such a young age that we even had that like in our minds at all. Like, oh, we have to like represent our families. Yeah, I'm not a parent, but as I've become an adult and learned more about parenting philosophies and read about like healthy parenting styles, I feel like one of the overarching messages is as a parent, you have to accept that your kids don't owe you anything. Mm -hmm. And I remember like reading that for the first time as an adult and my mind was sort of blown. Yeah. Because that had just never occurred to me. I I felt like I owed my parents a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think that like so many people from so many different cultures feel that way. I feel like that's like a really widespread issue with parents. A hundred percent. Parents think, oh, because I did whatever for you and I chose for you to be born, Mm -hmm. you now owe me. (laughs) Loyalty or. Yeah. Hard work financial support in my old age whatever it is there are expectations attached and to like think about having grown up without feeling like that kind of pressure wow it's hard to imagine I know wouldn't that be nice basically the number one thing that I consider when I think about parenting Mm -hmm. I don't want my kids to feel pressured by me and there's nothing wrong with them like however they turn out And obviously parenting is still involved. You still like teach them things and Mm -hmm. help your responsibility. Yeah. Right. It's not like parenting is a free for all. It's just that like your kids don't owe you a specific kind of life. Mm -hmm. Right. A specific version of themselves. Right. One other thing I want to make sure to talk about is the way that Jeanette McCurdy talks about receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost after she gets baptized. Mm Mm-hmm. And being like, okay, I have this gift now. And when am I going to start hearing it? Yeah. When am I going to start hearing the Holy Ghost speak to yeah. me? And she's not hearing it. And she's feeling frustrated and stressed. She's feeling pressure to hear the Holy Ghost. Mm. And the story is that one day she's in an audition and she's like, I heard it. The Holy Ghost told me to go into the bathroom, flush the toilet five times, touch Mm -hmm. my waist five times, spin around in a circle five times, and then to come out and I would get the part. 
Yikes, honey. That's called OCD. So she does it and she tells her mom, I'm hearing the Holy Ghost. And her mom says nothing, doesn't address that at all, which Mm -hmm. what the heck? And that's how she defines the Holy Ghost for, it sounded like a few years of her life. Mm -hmm. She seems to develop some awareness. Like, is this the Holy Ghost or do I have a problem? Right. I can so relate to that. Tell me. I just remember being so desperate to hear the Holy Ghost and just to feel the spirit. I mean, just anything. I was, I so sought after that as a kid Mm -hmm. to no avail. But I remember developing what was explained to me by a therapist as some obsessive compulsive traits where I would sort of like compartmentalize like my sins in my brain Mm -hmm. that I needed to repent for. But really in my mind, I felt like I needed to like atone for them. Mm. Like that was a big problem that I had is that I didn't think that like just straight up repentance worked for me. But anyway, I'd compartmentalize the sins in my head and like assign numbers to them. And if I just like whittled away at them and get down to zero, then I could feel good. Mm-hmm. So it would be like months of doing weird things. Oh, so I, I stole a, a like barrette from a girl. So if I slip a sticker into her bag, that will then make up for the theft of her barrette. And I can tick that off the list. And I mm. had these like, you know, numbers in my brain and there was some math involved. <laughs> um, okay. So the obsessive compulsive Holy Ghost convergence really rang true. rings true to me for sure oh did you feel like the spirit was giving you the ideas for what to do like oh if I give her that sticker the holy ghost is telling me to give her a sticker yeah yeah and I mean I was just like toiling over it I would just be mm-hmm. like bent over on my knees just crying what do I do you know and Aww. things would occur to me oh I can just you know yeah I do think telling little kids, you're going to start hearing this voice mm-hmm. um, that's going to tell you what's true and tell you how to be good and to live a happy life. As of now, you're going to have that. Mm-hmm. And then just set these kids loose with that idea. You're setting up some real potential problems. For sure. And it can also like be really confusing and create some like real psychological issues because I I can remember feeling as a kid like these overwhelming sensations of guilt but it was to the point where it was like fearful and it made me like ill like Mm -hmm. I would get sick but there would also be times where I would get this overwhelming sense of like peace and calm Mm -hmm. and I thought that they were faith related the holy ghost the spirit etc when really I was like going through like really really terrible like mood emotional distress yeah it was in emotional distress for sure Mm. but for a long time you know didn't get any help for it because I was just I thought it was just like my own this was like my own spiritual experience that's how and not like a child having a, a mental health crisis yeah I would experience it by if I had like a question that I was praying over needing answers to, I would read the scriptures, but I would open them randomly, read until I felt like there was some clue I could use to answer my question. And then I would call that the answer. Yeah. 
So it was like, oh, I found this scripture that has this date. Well, that date's going to be significant. Or it's about like staying where you are. That means I shouldn't move for this job. Or like Mm. I would just use it and search for signs in that way. And the problem is I'm really good at that. Like I have a PhD in textual analysis. I can find clues in a text if I want to. So I was like, oh, it's working. Mm. When it was really just my own creation. You're just real smart. Oh, except also <laughs> real dumb. <laughs> <laughs> One other way that the teachings of the church set you up for potential problems when it comes to the Holy Ghost is that you're told that if you're not getting an answer, it might be a stupor of thought. That's like a phrase in the scriptures. If you're feeling like a stupor of thought, it means either that the answer is no or that maybe you're unworthy of an answer. Anyway, right? it's a little vague. So That's like, important to mention. Yeah. Yes. Feeling like unworthy of an answer is a big deal. That was yes. a huge thing for me. Well, and it reinforced for me why I wasn't having a spiritual experiences, feeling the spirit hearing the Holy Ghost, Mm -hmm. why I felt like my pleas for repentance didn't feel like they were getting through. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Right. No, I spent a lot of time asking questions, feeling like I wasn't getting answers, and then agonizing over what I needed to do to be worthy to get them. Or trying to understand, was that a stupor of thought? Does that mean the answer is no? What does a stupor of thought mean? Mm -hmm. Am I in a stupor? (laughs) Like (laughs) trying to gauge whether my lack of knowing the answer was could be qualified as a stupor. Like it was a lot of mental gymnastics. Yeah. Looking for signs everywhere. I've always been really jealous of people who like seem to have an easy time with it. Mm-hmm. like they can just I don't want to sound like an asshole but you can like can just convince yourself that you are like hearing all the things that you want to hear and mm-hmm. like getting all the answers that you seek it's just like yeah good for you man honestly I feel like I was I was seemingly one of those people who was mm-hmm. getting a lot of spiritual assurances I was smart enough to figure out a method and my method was like I said open up a scripture read till mm-hmm. you find something you can call an answer and then just believe in that yeah and so I had this method that felt reasonable so I could run with that and because I was able to develop a method I think I seemed for a long time like someone who was pretty sure of myself, pretty confident in my ability to hear and understand the spirit. But when I look back on those experiences, I realize that that's not what was going on. Mm-hmm. I was intellectualizing my way through Mormonism. Um to a point and then obviously I would reach these intellectual barriers that were f- scary and frustrating and mm-hmm. yeah or I was having emotional experiences that were tied to all sorts of things like I would feel really happy at Christmas time singing songs mm-hmm. about Jesus because it's Christmas and I'm with my family and I'm singing songs and I would think that meant a hundred things that it didn't necessarily mean For sure. I can relate to that a lot. You were taking what you could from the situation. I've never, I've certainly never talked about this on the podcast, but I've also never talked about it to you. But when I got sober, like five years ago, Mm -hmm. that I could, I very much relate 
to everything you're saying the like opening the scriptures looking for an answer and like I was very much right there mm-hmm. with you like were you doing that with the church mm-hmm. really I didn't yeah. know that yeah well I was having a full-blown mental health crisis give a and... little context because like okay you got sober but you were out of the church at that point oh long out yeah, yeah. and I was so I was like 25 26 mm-hmm. I don't know yeah I'd had like several years of like just getting deeper and deeper into like drug and alcohol abuse and I got sober and that's been great and I've been sober ever since but yeah it was really hard I went through like a really really bad mental health period where I was very depressed and really angry I hated my life it was like a very frustrating time feeling like very grateful and feeling good about myself for the first time in a long time but also Mm -hmm. like total lack of I don't know like my sense of self was just like gone I felt like I had lost who I was and yeah definitely uh fell into the old brainwashing you know Mm. for a little bit it was a little little blip then I went to therapy and got on drugs or on you know medication (laughs) but um but yeah, definitely lots of scripture reading, basically. Lots of prayer and scripture reading. It's interesting you kept that a secret, too. I can see why you would, because you don't want to raise the hopes of the still no, Mormon family members. There is no hope. Sorry, guys. But it's also interesting that that's what your brain goes back to when you've gone through such a major transition like you had. Well, where do I find answers now? And like... There was a lot of uh, inner child healing stuff going mm-hmm. on during that time, I think. And I think that that was a part of that for sure. And a huge draw of religion in general is the certainty that it purports to offer, right? Mm-hmm. If you're in a place where you're like, who am I now and where do I find a path and how do I understand myself and the world? Well, religion is like over here. We'll, yeah. we'll show you how. And that's really compelling when you're in a transition, when you're feeling vulnerable. And again, not inherently insidious, except that then they pile on top of it all this other shit, all the homophobia, all the racism, all the like extremism and fundamentalism. And it's like, okay, well, maybe I could have thought of prayer as this healthy meditative practice that can help me to quiet my mind and Mm -hmm. get in touch with my feelings. But it gets so bogged down in all the other stuff. I mean, I felt like I had my own little special brand of whatever that was working for me and that I felt comfortable with and that was making me feel like at peace and giving me some some sense of understanding. But I was like, this can't go any further. And at the end of the day, this is not in line with like my beliefs. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Sure. This this ain't it, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. You can want it to be it as much as you want. Mm-hmm. but it, it's not do you want to read that quote you pulled from the memoir oh my gosh yes i love this quote why haven't i heard the holy ghost i'd ask my prayers is there something i've done wrong that has made me not deserve it is it my impure thoughts about frankie muniz <laughs> me <laughs> i remember quote you went me. through your frankie muniz phase which when is I so read funny. that in the book, I was like, this is Katie. Which is so bizarre. He was like the most like 40-year-old little teenage boy ever. Like the most random us 90s kids 
I don't know. We had it rough. Frankie Muniz, Aaron Carter. <laughs> Aaron Carter. Ooh, that's a tough yeah, one. That was another yeah. big one for me. But yeah, no, I can really remember having dreams about boys. I was, I was so boy crazy as a kid and I would feel guilty about my dreams. I mean, really, I was not having impure dreams about boys. I would have dreams where I was with boys and I, you know, I felt a quiver or something, you know, (laughs) but yeah, I'd wake up like, ah, now I'm going to set back on my list. You have to do new calculations. (laughs) I know that's what it would be. That's rough, man. All in all, I would say this was a great memoir. I really enjoyed reading it. Mm-hmm. obviously the mormon aspect of it is just a small piece yeah. of the larger story but the whole story is really compelling yeah i'm just like really rooting for jeanette mccurdy good for her me too yeah, yeah definitely give it a read give it a listen we both listened to it on audible and that was really enjoyable yeah she reads it herself and yeah. i really liked encountering the text that way i just felt like i really got a sense of her voice for sure and everybody who was raised mormon uh i just feel a special bond to them so mm-hmm. that just made yeah. me enjoy it all the more for sure so basically what we're saying is please bless jeanette mccurdy and please bless this podcast please bless miranda cosgrove oh yeah her too yeah you know there's an iCarly reboot and jeanette mccurdy is not a part of it no she's she's done by her own choice she turned it yeah. down it seems like she's out of acting acting she didn't want to be an actor in the first place yeah her mom wanted it and i'm sure unpacking all of this has just made going back to acting feel really undesirable yeah and now she's made presumably a boatload off this book oh yeah yeah i also heard that she's working on like a novel and a collection of essays so i think she's really going down the writer path now and that's great she's a great Great. writer i honestly thought it was a really well-written memoir very unapologetic Mm -hmm. direct yeah unflinching yeah it was very like Mm -hmm. straight to the point she's a tough kid yeah Okay, in closing, follow us on social media everywhere at Please Bless Pod. I love that I said in closing as if this is like a sacrament meeting. Yes. <laughs> and email us at pleaseblesspod at gmail.com. Send oh, us yeah. more episode ideas. Send us your thoughts and feelings. If you just like the podcast, we love to hear it. Oh, we love to hear that. We got a fun little Instagram DM last night and we were both like, oh my god. That was so nice. Shout out to Callie M for the Instagram DM. We're, we, we've been touched. Please bless Callie M and please <gasps> bless this podcast. Please bless. Amen.